The title of the article was The Italian Fashion Family Diaspora, and it tracks the reality that exists in many cultures, but in Italy it's called Capitalismo Familare. Maybe you could try it with me. And it's like if you do the fingers like this, it works better. So just try it. So Capitalismo Familare. Just go, come on. Just put the fingers. The thumb goes to the two fingers. Kind of shake it at me. A little. Come on, play along. Come on, this isn't hard. Thank you very much. Okay, Capitalismo Familare. The concept is nothing new, okay? It's not a new concept. It's a business being passed from one generation to the next. So names like Versace, Ferragamo, whose founder was Salvatore, I wonder if they call him Sal, Etro, uh, Musoni, uh, Fendi, Zenia, Pucci, Imarinella, they're all family businesses. The revolution is that the third and fourth generations are choosing to jump ship, so to speak. They are leaving the familiar and familial enclaves of their namesake fashion houses. I find family businesses incredibly intriguing. I grew up in a family business. I have observed family businesses. At times, they are absolutely spectacular. They are absolutely wonderful. And at other times, they're like a car crash in slow motion. You know there's going to be a collision. When are things going to hit? If you own your own family business, it has its advantages. You can simply look in the mirror if something's gone wrong. It's on you. It's not on anyone else. And often a family business will be run to maximize cash in the pocket. I grew up in my family business. If you needed to go to the grocery store, you just went over to the till, grabbed a 20, and went to the grocery store. I mean, it wasn't a big deal. It just kind of sideways went around the IRS, minimizing tax liability both of which create their own set of challenges when you try to sell the business to an outsider because they're like, you're not showing a lot of income here. Challenges abound. You have to be good at a lot of different things. And often it seems like you can never escape work. A family business, it's one of those things that we can truly celebrate. A person, a couple starting something new. It can allow a farmer from Winthrop, Minnesota with an eighth grade education and his bride, a preacher's daughter, who would have five kids, miscarry a sixth. Three of those kids would be business owners themselves, their only daughter, an ER nurse. And the thing that they started 60 years ago this year would be passed on to one son and then another. The fifth child, fourth in the birth order, oh, he started out as a bit of a disappointment. But rumor has it, things have turned around Continuing, verse 17, page 1008, Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham. Now, fairness in conversation, it's going to get pretty dark pretty quickly. Abraham and Isaac. There's a disproportionate amount of ink spilt on Abraham in chapter 11. And today, this idea that we explore, there's an intensity to the story, right? By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. 
there is this intensity to the story. The idea of killing a child. The idea that such a death was commanded by God. And of course, we know the story. No child dies. And while not specifically inherent in the story is this reality that one of the things that's so offensive about this, right, is that life is so truly valuable, right? Life is to be cherished and and celebrated and protected. And we know the story, no child dies, and yet we also know we live in a world, as in the ancient Near Eastern world, where children did die. And we've said this on a variety of different topics. If, if you're in a difficult spot, if you're in the midst of an unplanned pregnancy, please, please want to have a conversation with you. Your life, your story won't be treated by like a political poker chip here. We want to engage with you because life is so incredibly valuable. And we know the story. No child dies. And yet, I don't know that Abraham knew the story. He was experiencing the story. And it's an extremely challenging thing for me to think about. I mean, can you you put yourself in that spot, right? How? How? And in another breath, we know that in the ancient Near Eastern world, child sacrifice wasn't an uncommon practice. There was a variety of different gods, a variety of different customs, and that it was believed if you sacrificed a child, you would incur favor and these types of things, the crops would grow. And in that environment, perhaps, Abraham responds, I'm not trying to justify the practice. Please understand what I'm saying. I love life. But in that experience, Abraham responds, okay, seems really weird, but okay. And Hebrews describes it as having faith in God. But we can also come to understand that God is so different and distinctly so among the gods of that day. We look at it from our perspective and rightly recoil, but look with a mind that is thousands of years ago and a culture to which we can barely relate, a very violent, violent, violent world. And God ultimately defines God's self as a being that can be trusted, but also a being that is not going to require a child to die. Because as a point of fact, Isaac is not killed. Abraham is stopped before he strikes. Now, for the careful listener out there, you'll say, but, but wait a second, John. Don't we still have the challenge that Jesus would ultimately die for the sins of his people? And I will give you that one. Verse 19 doesn't appear in Genesis. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. There's this hint in Genesis, I believe it's 22, verse 5, and, and basically the, the Abraham and Isaac are traveling to the place where Isaac is to be sacrificed, and they're traveling with servants, and Abraham says to the servants, you stay here, we're going to go over there, offer the sacrifice, and we'll come back. 
And commentators rightly say, or wrongly say, I don't know, they say, well, Abraham knew he was going to come back with his son. I'm like, yeah, it seems pretty thin to me. I mean, if you think you're going to go kill your son, I don't think you think you're going to come back with your son. So I think it's a pretty thin justification, although the writer of Hebrews argues that Abraham figured the only way this would work out is if there was life after death. I don't know totally what to do with the story because I don't have a way to relate to it. But ultimately what happens is that Abraham is to follow God to a point that we can barely fathom. And God says, I've got you. I've got you. Continue to follow me by faith. Verse 20, Isaac, well on the road, invokes the future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Love the names of the kids. We lose some of the meaning. Jacob literally means heel grabber. Esau means red, okay? So Esau had this ruddy complexion. They called him Esau. It's kind of like if you had someone with red hair, you'd say, hey, red, come on over, okay? The same idea. And Jacob, when he was being born, okay, Esau was born first. And as he's being born, little Jacob's hand reaches up and grabs Esau's heel, and and they kind of come out together. And so Jacob becomes known as the heel grabber. It's not a compliment. A heel grabber isn't a compliment. It's, it's not like, oh, Jacob, what a great name. No, it's like when Jacob gets his name changed to Israel, he had to go, yay, touchdown, thank you for getting rid of that horrible name. But Isaac blesses both of his sons. And we know there's a bunch of heel grabbing going on because Jacob cuts the line and gets in front of Esau and gets the real blessing. But Isaac still blesses both of his sons. He, he presupposes a future reality that is the subject of the blessing itself. And you have to believe in the future. And you have to believe that invoking God's best will actually make a difference. And it has to work in a variety of different circumstances, good times and bad times. And some might argue that the blessing for Esau may not sound exactly like a blessing, but again, it's invoking the name of God for a future reality. And then the story focuses on Jacob, verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff grandfather. Now we're at the grandson, Jacob, blessing Joseph's sons, even though the bloodlines of Christ will flow through Judah and some pretty sketchy encounters. But again, this idea of a future reality, of inviting God to do something, of seeing something unique, seeing something special, I wonder, did Jacob, did Israel, what did he see? Did the words that he say, were those things that he wanted or things that were given to him from God? We see parts of it in Genesis 49, and we can offer the idea that he saw a lot. 
This year is the 50th anniversary of The Godfather, one of my favorite movies of all times. I watched it again the other night. I was actually very stupid in watching it because I started it late in the evening and I didn't get to bed till like 1.30 in the morning, which is not good for me. I am too old to do stuff like that. But it is such an awesome movie. Not much in the area of Christian redemption, but it's an awesome movie. And there's the scene, right? You know it at the end, okay? Vito Corleone, okay, and, and Michael Corleone are sitting, okay, and, and they're sitting basically outside the tomato patch, and, and Vito is like talking about all that he hoped for his son, how he wanted his youngest son to, to be the senator, to be the governor, to be the one who was pulling the strings, how, and Michael says, it'll be okay, Pop. If you're lucky enough to have children, maybe not too many, maybe wanting that empty nest. But if you're lucky enough to have children, what do you want for them? What do you hope for them? And if you're not lucky enough to have children, but you're lucky enough to have friends or you're lucky enough to be in Christian community and you have people that you relate to on a pretty frequent basis. What do you hope for for your friends? What do I hope for you? What do you hope for me? And do you invite... Do we invite the blessing of God on each other's lives in faith? The text concludes, verse 22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. All of these examples expressing the undilutable reality that faith in God was not something that was ignorantly done, but something that was done with profound confidence. To put it another way, by faith, each of these examples found God trustworthy. And that's really the subject of the entire Bible and specifically of Hebrews chapter 11. We can rightly say Abraham wasn't a perfect being, correct? Isaac, likewise. Jacob, heel grabber, without question. These people had profound flaws. Why are they people of faith? Because it's not about the people. It's about the object of their faith. I don't have to be perfect to come in faith to a holy God. I have to come in faith with all of my imperfections. To put it another way, by faith, they found God trustworthy with their lives, their future, and their children's future. Now, ultimately, the question is, will the children and will the children's children follow? And to be sure, some do and some don't. By the time we get to Joseph, we're, we're the same family. We now have a great-grandchild. 
Here's what I see, Joseph says. I see the day coming, and we are all going to be able to go home. And it's a phrase that's pregnant with meaning, right? And in fact, from this point, from Joseph's story, we just go out and add another great, 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 great grandchild until it gets to you and me. Without ever telling anyone, I think, no, I, I would say I know. I was disappointed that I was never invited to be a part of the family business. Part of the reason why I pursued an accounting degree at UMD was because I didn't know the number side of business. And I thought I should know the number side of business if I'm going to be in business. People will say like, well, why did you do an accounting degree? You don't seem like an accountant. I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult, but I'm like, I don't know. I needed to know this side of business. I needed to know how this stuff worked. I needed to know how to read a balance sheet. I needed to know how to perform and get an income statement looking in good P&L if you would rather prefer. And when I graduated, I wasn't a phenomenal student, but I was still disappointed. And I don't think I've ever told anyone about that. I was disappointed there wasn't room for me in the family business. Partly, I think it was because I was a disappointment, and I was disappointing to those around me. Partly, it wasn't at a size or a scale that would support even someone who would come as cheaply as I would have come. <laughs> it wasn't until years later that I realized what the family business really was. And I came face to face with my history. If you've never explored history, please explore history. There's so many wonderful things that you can learn about history. Things to do, things not to do. But I discovered, and I kind of knew this, but when I say discovered, I discovered it for the very first time that my grandfather was a preacher. And my great-grandfather was a preacher. And they were preachers in the Swedish covenant tradition, which is, well, one of two one of three denominations that were heavily influenced by the Swedish immigration movement in the mid-1800s. And when I discovered that, I would say, aha, this is the family business. It's not about minnows and worms and boats and motors and trailers and lifts and docks. It's about this. But maybe not completely accurate. You might think that a family business is boats or bait or retail or groceries or gas, building, buying, finance, manufacturing, retail, medicine. And you might trace a lineage of influence in your life that got you to this point. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, then we have to come face to face with the reality that our legacy is not in commerce or career, but it's in faith. Faith is the family business. 
living in faith is the family business. Operating in faith is the family business. You have, by virtue of Jesus Christ, been invited to be a part of Abraham's family. And faith is the business of the family. And faith means we look forward with hope and with expectation. Faith means we acknowledge that where we're living right now isn't where we ultimately belong. Faith acknowledges that there's a violent world that's out there and that there is more than that violent world that is out there. That if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, we come face to face with the reality that our legacy is faith. And it is a pathway, not without challenges or difficulty. But it is a pathway that continually realigns our attitudes and our mindsets towards that which will be. And to the giver of all, the creator of all, it's faith. Spent the last month thinking about the next year, next year and a half. And in faith, after we're done in Hebrews, we're going to be in Esther. When Esther's done, then it's going to be Christmas time. You're like, oh, that's a long time in Esther. Then after Christmas time, okay, the Advent season, we're going to be in Lamentations, okay, which is Jerry's lament, a phenomenal practice to engage in, writing a lament when things are bad. And then after that, in faith, we'll be in Galatians. And then after that, in faith, we'll be with Jonah and the whale. Beyond that, I don't have any more faith. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> in faith, I pray for my kids. I pray for you. I pray for this place, not the building, the people. In faith, I acknowledge the reality that God is bringing more new faces and more new families to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is so cool. We, we live. The family business is faith. Be drawn to that reality and all that it means. In Jesus' name, please pray with me. By faith, we come to you today, O oh great God, creator of the universe, lover of life, creator of life. In faith, we come with our own box of broken toys and abilities. In faith, we come with gifts that you have given us, the ability to be inventive, the ability to be hopeful, the ability to be industrious. We come in faith and ask, prevail upon you in faith for an increasing measure of your Holy Spirit in our life, reminding us, the Holy Spirit reminding us of all that Jesus did, reminding us of who we are, to whom we belong, the paths to take and the paths to not take. 
in faith, O oh great God, we come before you, humbly acknowledging who you are and our need for you. In faith, we reject the claim of the world on our soul. In faith, we embark on a pathway that has your son as the example and the leader. By faith. 